welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over Bellator 255. Yes, I'm saying Bellator. This is the first ever MMA Lockcast episode where we're going to be covering Bellator and get used to it because we're going to be adding Bellator to the rotation. Uh, this card is headlined by... Uh, Patricio Pitbull and Emmanuel Sanchez. This is the semifinals of their featherweight Grand Prix. We have the champion Pitbull defending once again against Emmanuel Sanchez. Uh, this is a rematch of a fight that happened in November of 2018 where it was a very close fight going into that fifth round and Patricio Pitbull goes out there and steals that fifth round and wins the fight. But it should be a very competitive fight once again and I'm very much looking forward to breaking it down for you guys and hopefully finding you guys some uh, some spots. For this card, though, we will only be breaking down the main card. For the next card, which is Bellator 256 next week, I will be breaking down the entire card for you guys. I do want to get a jump start on the upcoming schedule. Not a big fan of, you know, Bellator and UFC same weekends in terms of the amount of work that your boy has to do. But we're doing this shit full time. So you bet your ass that I'm going to be doing it. But no prelims for me this time around for Bellator, but I will still give you guys the main card breakdowns. That's exactly what I wanted to do this time around, and we'll do the full cards moving forward. With that said, uh, very, very excited for this card. Um, there are some solid spots. There's a lot of prospects on the card as well. We got Magomed Magomedov fighting again. We got uh, the uh, Bellator debut of Usman Nurmagomedov. Kano Watanabe coming back against Alejandro Lara. Tyrell Fortune against Jack May. They're rematching as well. And then obviously Naaman Gracie versus Jason Jackson. That's a very intriguing fight, especially considering that the odds are at even money right now. All right, before we get into the card, let's give you guys the uh, betting breakdown as I always do, uh, you know, transparency 101. And your boy is always about that, whether we're losing, whether we're winning, whether we're breaking even, it doesn't matter. You guys need to know how I'm doing. And so far, doing pretty damn good. We're on a four event winning streak since going back to that old school lock of the night style. And that's, that's exactly how we're going to be staying moving forward. Uh, so last time around, lock of the night play was Omar Morales. That This was for UFC 260, by the way. Omar Morales was the lock of the night play that night. Five units at minus 196. That play hits, you know, relatively easily, in, in my opinion. You know, a lot of people had question marks about, like, you know, how Omar Morales was going to deal with the volume and the possible forward pressure of Shane Young. But I truly saw in that fight that, you know, Shane Young is only good when he's the one dictating the pace and not really giving too much respect to his opponents. Obviously, he's going to go out there and disrespect guys like Rolando D and Austin Arnett. But once he feels the power of a guy like Omar Morales, I don't think he'll be throwing as much or I don't think he'll be the one on the front foot. And that's exactly what we saw. Morales went out there and won a clean fight, uh, pretty much winning that fight, I believe, on, on, judge, on all judges' scorecards. And, you know, never really looked like he was in trouble at all in that fight. That's exactly what I was expecting. You know, a KO would have been nice, but I was expecting him to go out there and just soundly beat Shane Young. And thankfully, that's exactly what he did. That's what we need from a lock of the night play. Sure, a 15-second knockout would be great as well. But to go out there and show dominance from minute 1 to minute 15 further cements why that guy was a lock of the night play. So luckily, Omar Morales came through for us. That was plus 2.55 units. The dog of the night play whiffs and I'm forever swearing off Jillian Robertson under two and a halfs because that's something that I've been pulling the trigger on more often than not and it's been failing for the last three or four fights uh, of hers and now I'm officially swearing it off. So I went one unit at plus 150, you know, uh, solid fight, good fight. 
but the openings for the finishes weren't really there. You know, I think I was overestimating the the stand up or, or the striking abilities of Miranda Maverick, and I was kind of overrating uh, the ability that Jillian Robertson would have to potentially find a finish. Regardless, we still end up positive on the night plus 1.55 units and that's the lock of the night play style right that's the old school lock of night style which is go out there make sure the lock of the night play hits and even if the dog of the night play doesn't hit we still come away with profit and that's the way that i'm going to be going moving forward regardless you know what i mean that's what got me to the dance let's stay at the dance you know what i mean so good uh good work there again lock of the night play hits and that caps off our four event winning streak for us and we're hoping to make it five events uh this weekend with bellator 255 i do already have a play uh uh or a bet in play it was actually a a parlay uh unfortunately Berkamov pulls out uh on weigh-in day and now we're just stuck with one straight play we are on paid picks now since we're on a three event winning streak so if you guys want the play as well as the dog of the night play uh you guys are gonna have to sign up for the patreon which is great to segue into in terms of the sponsors and things that i want to plug before we actually get into the breakdowns for you guys patreon.com slash mmalotn the link is in the description below as well five bucks a month you guys get early access to all the breakdowns it's going to be hella early now especially considering that i'm doing this thing full time so shout out to all the patrons or the patreon members as well as everybody that supported me up until this point that's allowed this dream to become a reality for me to do this thing full time and that's what i'm doing now so with me slowly getting back on track and getting ahead of schedule these early breakdowns will definitely mean a lot more especially when we're talking about beating line movement and all that type of stuff so uh early breakdowns all official bets discord channel uh best bets and props article which is a hot commodity uh in the community so that's something that a lot of people look forward to as well there's a ton of value five bucks a month you know what i mean you're not getting charged an arm and a leg and getting fucking dicked around by uh someone that just talks out of their ass uh everything's third party tracked everything's uh you know transparent and that's one thing that i like to push and uh know that you guys will get a ton of value of so shout out to anybody that's on the patreon next sponsor next plug we got coolbet.com a great service or a betting website uh mainly available in canada some south american countries as well as some scandinavian countries if you guys use promo code mmalotn2 that's the number two you guys will get a um, your initial deposit matched all the way up to 200 bucks there is a six times rollover but every welcome bonus has a rollover this is one of the uh, lower ones that i've ever seen but yeah they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks great website you can parlay props you can parlay whatever the fuck you want and you more often than not they do have some of the better lines that are out there so make sure you guys check out coolbet coolbet.com uh promo code mmalotn2 and then lastly i want to give a big shout out to our guys fanatics fantasy mma uh, they have a great app fantasy mma app they pretty much cover every single promotion that's out there uh for bellator as well you guys can go into the fanatics app and make your bellator picks and share them with the rest of the world they have a very sleek outlook or a, a very layout uh that you guys can take advantage of and uh you know you can even make groups and private uh private groups that you can kind of go up against your friends and all that i have my own personal mma lotn group where uh, or i call it the lock squad uh where we actually only go over ufc events but you can go out there and track valor events too so uh it's a great app make sure you guys check it out it's free to use they're still in beta mode and they're very receptive to a lot of the the customers and users so uh if you have anything that you want to plug to them whether it's an adjustment something they should remove something they should add they're very very uh, receptive to it so you guys can hit 
hit him up through Twitter as well. I believe it's at Fanatics MMA. Um, but yeah, the link is in the description below. Make sure you guys check it out. It's very, very helpful and very, very fun to use as well. And you can invite your friends to it. You guys can go up against each other and talk some shit. They even have a very cool uh, chat option in there. So you guys don't even have to go to your WhatsApp group or your Twitter group or whatever. You can do everything inside that one app. So once again, shout out to Fanatics MMA. Uh, Fanatics Fantasy MMA link is in the description below. All right, that's enough of me jibber jabbering to you guys. Make sure you guys enjoy this main card breakdown for Bellator 255, and hopefully we can come away with some green this weekend. Good luck and enjoy the breakdowns. Alejandra Lara versus Kana Watanabe. We got minus 185 on Lara and plus 160 on Watanabe. Let's start off on the Lara side, who's a little bit more of a, Bell of a Bellator veteran now. Uh, five fights in Bellator, and she's gone three and two, but she's had a little bit of a tough task in those two losses that she has. Not to mention, she came in as a plus 650 underdog uh, against Ovin Chingnikova. Uh, I believe that girl was very highly touted. Unfortunately, it never really worked out for her and Lara pulls off a beautiful submission victory that night then she goes out there and gets a title shot immediately and she loses a uh, decision uh, to uh, Alima Lay McFarlane I actually believe my notes are wrong there I think that she actually lost that fight via submission I do want to confirm that before I continue on with this uh yeah she did get submitted in the third round via arm there there so uh, a little bit of a gaff for me on the graphic that I had ready to to, to do this uh, breakdown with. But regardless, we fix it. She loses via submission third round to Alimale McFarlane. And then after that, she goes out there and loses a split decision to Juliana Velasquez, who's now the flyweight champion in the Bellator uh, division after she went out there and beat Alimale McFarlane over five rounds as well. Uh, and then after that, she turns around, comes in as a minus 900 favorite against Turner, wins that fight via KO, and then comes in as a minus 145 favorite against Vida Ortega and wins that fight via decision pretty handily as well. It seemed like the size advantage that she had in that fight was very prominent and she used it to the best of her abilities. Like she comes from a, uh, a karate background, so you see some good striking from her, but I'm still a little bit questionable or questioning the amount of knockout power that she truly has. She does have a couple of knockout victories on her record, and uh, she did visibly hurt Ortega with a beautiful, beautifully placed head kick. Uh, I believe that was in the second or third round, but unfortunately, she couldn't finish it. We did see her kind of go apeshit in that third round against Ortega and land these beautiful elbow, elbows up against the cage, which she eventually cut Ortega with roughly about a minute or a minute left in that fight. And, uh, you know, she really put it on her. Uh, she couldn't get the finish, unfortunately, uh, but she did uh, end up getting a very uh, dominant decision victory that night. She definitely didn't look like a minus 145 favorite. She looked like a minus 300 favorite that night. Uh, with Kana Watanabe, on the other hand, uh, you know, a fighter that doesn't look the most comfortable on the feet so that's going to be something to note here if she goes out there and tries to stay on the feet which i doubt she will uh but the longer it is on the feet you got to give the advantage to lara Watanabe does such a good job of just dragging fights to the ground though and it seems to be the same takedown that she goes for over and over again she comes from a judo background so it kind of makes sense that she's aiming for that that body lock and then she trips I, I I'm trying to get the the actual name right but you know I'm trying to give that to you guys in layman's terms as well assuming that some of you guys don't even know what the actual term is as well but she does a good job of getting the body lock 
and then going for the inside trip on one of the legs and then kind of just flipping your opponent. It's a judo throw, not exactly the name of it, or I'm not exactly sure the name of it, but I'm sure it doesn't really even matter to you guys either. But it's a move that she hits, she hits time and time again. And that's where she's able to get a lot of her top control against her opponents and really start to wear on them with some ground and pound or even looking for submissions as she's very active and more often than not looking for a finish. Like in her last five fights alone, she has four finishes. Uh, three of them by TKO, and then one of uh, one of them via submission. In her last three fights, though, she's going up against very questionable competition, kind of like Lara as well. In her last two fights, you know the Turner fight. This is a girl that was four and five going into that fight against Lara, and then Vita Ortega. Just you know, she she's a decent opponent. She's she has some solid skills and she has some solid experience, being a little bit of a mainstay in Bellator. But she just seemed completely outmatched when it came to the strength and the the striking acumen that uh, Lara was bringing to that game. Um, whereas you know Watanabe, she's going up against an O and O fighter, an O and one fighter you know, a, a three-in-one fighter. So there's very, uh, a, a lot of concerns regarding the level of competition that Kana has been going up against. Her last fight against Joanny, uh, I believe that's how you pronounce her name, uh, a Brazilian uh, jiu-jitsu, or not, or sorry, a Brazilian fighter that recently had moved to the Pitbull Brothers training camp and training with Eric Albacin. She seemed to have a lot of success in the striking realm early in that fight. And then unfortunately she gave in to the, not gave in to, but unfortunately gave up some takedowns to Watanabe. And there was even an instance in that second round, I believe, where uh, Joanne was on top and uh, she was hanging around a little, a little bit too long there. And we see Watanabe go out there and uh, pull off a, a reversal and land some good shots from on top. Eventually in the third round, getting a uh, finish via TKO. But man, she looks strong in those grappling and those clinch positions. And that's something I feel like Lara is going to want to stay away from. Now, I'd want to kind of side with Lara in this fight, considering that she has such a massive striking advantage, and it just doesn't look like Watanabe is comfortable on the feet at all. More often than not, her striking is just to kind of set up her takedowns, or at least set up closing the distance, so that she can get her, get that body lock, and then get that judo throw that she always seems to land on her opponents, and then get to work on, uh, from the from the top position. She does have, I believe, a 11 or 12 second KO against uh, Sugiyama. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure if that was a quick stoppage per se, but it probably was a quick stoppage. Let's be honest. The, the, as soon as the fighter dropped, we see the referee just jump in and save her. But I feel like she could have kept on fighting and that probably would have, you know, gone out there and shown us a little bit more of Otanabe. Um, but... I'm not too mad at what we've been seeing from uh, Watanabe. You know what I mean? Like, she seems very heavy on top. She seems very strong as well, which is going to come into to play here. You know, she's at a one-inch height disadvantage as well as a three-inch reach disadvantage. But the power that's coming from Lara Strikes, or the lack of power, I should say, coming from Lara Strikes are, is what... Con is what concerns me the most with her getting the victory and being able to maintain that distance. I'd be very surprised if she willing willingly goes into the clinch with Watanabe here and tries to pull off some, you know, with, go go with her jujitsu. Whereas Watanabe, I feel like she will, if she gets into those clinch positions, still land the takedowns. We've seen Juliana Velasquez land those same takedowns against uh, Lara as well in their fight, and that was only three fights ago. I mean, I know Velasquez might be a completely different level than Watanabe, but Watanabe is undefeated at this point in time. So there are still a lot of question marks in terms of how good she actually is and how she'll actually perform when she starts fighting the higher level of fighters in Bellator. Lara is a great step up for her, especially coming off that fight against Joanny. 
and you know this is a, a step in the right direction and the the level of competition is only going to get better for her or harder for her and again Lara is a perfect next opponent um I'm going to go with Kana though. I think she gets the body lock. I think she, uh, you know, the, the grappling style will come into play here. Her strength will shine here. And I think we'll see her go out there and grind out a decision victory over Alejandra Lara. Again, it's just, I felt like if there was more sting or more persistence around the power behind Lara and her striking, I'd be a little bit more on that side. But I just feel like she's not really going to get the respect of a ton of it's going to be a little bit harder for her to you know keep her at distance and get her striking game going whereas with is going to just be moving forward she seems durable you know what i mean she seems like she can take a punch um i don't know if she'll be able to take a clean kick the way that vida ortega was but given what we've seen from her thus far i don't mind what we uh what, what we have here in an underdog uh, it's just the level of competition that worries me. And then obviously being at such a deficit in the striking realm leaves me a little bit worried for Watanabe. However, more often than not, I will side with the grappler. And that's exactly what I'm going to do here with Watanabe, who seems to be the stronger grappler and will have the, the advantage when they start to tie up and get into those clinch positions. So I'm going with Watanabe and I'm going to take her to win this fight via decision. Usman Nurmagomedov versus Mike Hamill. We got minus 820 on Nurmagomedov, you know, who, who's surprised. We got uh, plus 560 on Mike Hamill. Uh, and I think a lot of people initially were just wiki-capping this fight, where you see a 7-4 guy against a Nurmagomedov. And you're just like, all right, auto bet on Usman Nurmagomedov. However, once you start to run the tape, then you, decide, you, you really start to figure out that Mike Hamill probably shouldn't be a plus 560. Maybe you should be, you know, maybe you should still be an underdog, don't get me wrong, but probably not this big of an underdog as I believe that most people give Mike Hamill more than a 15% chance of winning this fight. Uh, Mike Hamill, we'll start off on his side because that's probably what you guys want to hear most about. Uh, training out of the MMA lab more often than not has guys like John Crouch and Ben Henderson in his corner and not to mention David Mashad, who I believe was in his last, uh, in the corner of his last fight. Now, uh, his last fight was against Adam Boric, who himself was in the uh, featherweight tournament, I believe, for uh, Bellator and, uh, you know, came into that fight as a minus 1700 favorite. Uh, and that fight played out much closer than uh, minus 1700 should. You know, it was a split decision uh, loss for Mike Hamill, but very close fight where you see Mike Hamill getting the fight to the ground on a relative, uh, relatively consistent basis. But Adam Borks does a good job of getting back to the feet and then really letting his hands and kicks go, which ultimately, uh, in my opinion, ended up getting his hand raised. Mike Hamill was just, you know, whenever there were laws on the feet, he was just waiting to eventually push Borks up against the cage and then get him back to the ground, which he was able to do on a consistent basis. However, Borks did a good job of getting back to his feet and then really making him pay with the damage. So it was almost, like I said, damage against control and the judges ended up going with damage that night. And Borks showed off a great striking game, right? Really mixed it up with the kicks and I think that's going to be important for uh, Usman Nurmagomedov to pick up on here as I believe that's a good... Um, kind of a, a way for him to go out there and kind of stifle the game of Mike Hamill. Mike Hamill, very, uh, high, you know, solid wrestler, high-level wrestler, I should say, and definitely is better than the 7-4, and four, uh, um, the seven and four record indicates. If you guys go back and watch this fight against Bruno Souza, uh, he ended up losing that fight via a DQ, uh, but he was pretty much controlling that fight from minute one to you know the the minute that it finished in that third round. Um, I believe there's less than a minute and a half left, and even uh, Big John McCarthy, who was a uh, a Kate side that night, had uh, admitted that he believed that fight probably should have gone to the judges' scorecards, 
unintentional illegal shots from uh, Mike Hamill. Unfortunately, the referee uh, who was in charge that night didn't believe it was unintentional as he as he said he had warned Mike Hamill on numerous occasions to not punch the back of the head. Hence the DQ lost there. But he 10-8 that guy in the first two rounds easily. 20, whatever, 20 to 16 scorecard going into that third round in my opinion. Uh, the, uh, the, the Reyes fight before that in Combate again shows off his great grappling. And that's pretty much the epitome of his game is just... Let me get you down and try to pull your face to the canvas. And he's more often not successful in doing so. That on Borg's fight, like, again, like I said, again, that's something that I was very successful in. However, he just wasn't able to really uh, stay on top long enough to, to get the judges' scorecards on all three judges, I should say. Usman Nurmagomedov, more of a striker than the rest of the Nurmagomedovs or Dagestani fighters. You know, shows a very good kicking game, especially with that calf kick, which he was very successful, I believe, against... Um, Jerry Kvarnstrom, uh, that's something that he just hammered on him and eventually got him to drop and then finished him with some punches there. Uh, the Shabana fight, another one where he really lets his kicking game going, hurts a lot of guys to the body and then eventually finishes them off. But you don't really see too much of a grapple-heavy game from him, but you got to believe that he definitely has that in his back pocket if he needs it. He's definitely going to need it to, uh, for this weekend when he fights Mike Hamill, who's going to be coming with that grapple-heavy game plan. So you got to believe that he's going to be ready from a defensive grappling standpoint so that he can go out there and get his striking game going, especially that 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 kicking game. Uh, Adam Borks was very successful with it with that in, inside leg kick uh, on the inner thigh. However, I, ex I expect Usman to go out there and target that, that lead calf. Now, I know that uh, Ham was approaching this fight from a southpaw stance, and a lot of people think that might be, uh, you know, nullify the, the ability of the calf kick. But just as we've seen from numerous fighters from before, um, I'm trying to remember uh, that there's a couple. The one that stands out to me most is Miguel Baeza against Takashi Sato, where, you know, opposite stances. A lot of people believe that, you know, the calf kick is not as useful in that stance. Chris Gutierrez against Andre Yul is another one that come to, comes to mind. But fighters are able to do it. It's not like their brain just malfunctions. It's just like, oh my God, I don't know how to do this leg kick or calf kick anymore because he's standing in a different stance. That doesn't happen. You got to believe a guy like even Usman Nurmagomedov, who's 11-0, only 22 years old, but the way he shows the fluidity and the variety of his strikes from either uh, stance gives you uh, confidence that he should be able to go out there and still implement a solid kicking game. That's exactly what I'm expecting him to do here against Mike Hamill, who again... I agree that he shouldn't be this big of an underdog. However, I think he's going to struggle to get Usman down and keep him down. That's the that's the difference, right? Almost like the Adam Borks fight. If he's not able to keep him down, he's going to be paying for it on the feet. As uh, Usman does a really good job of kind of maintaining his, his distance. I believe if the topology statistic or metrics are correct, he's going to have a four-inch height advantage. No reach, on, uh, unfortunately, not available. We'll see once the tail of the tape gets read. But Nurmagomedov would definitely be uh, kind of taking the approach um, that one Jason Jackson will be taking against Naaman Gracie, which is keep the distance, get your striking game going, but make sure that you have a ton of sauce, uh, not too much sauce on the end of your strikes. Otherwise, your opponent will probably uh, take advantage of that, of your overextending uh, and, and take you down. However, I think that Usman is just going to be super confident in those uh, exchanges if this fight does end up in the grappling room and he'll still be able to get the fight back to the feet and truly get his game going from that, that striking distance. So I'll take Nurmagomedov and the spot that I actually like most in this fight is the over one and a half 
A lot of people were thinking with Nurmagomedov being such a huge favorite that he's just going to go out there and steamroll Mike Hamill. I think Mike Hamill is quite uh, quite a dog and he, he's quite durable as well. I definitely see this fight going past that one and a half mark with that minus 120 line. I think that's a great line. However, I think that um, uh, it's going to be Nurmagomedov that gets his hands raised uh, via decision here. You got to give uh, Mike Hamill the benefit of the doubt. The guy's a very durable, will have a... Uh, a clinch heavy game plan and I think that should help him kind of survive their early onslaught but I think that Nurmagomedov will pull away with with a with a decision victory my only concern here is how effective Nurmagomedov will be with that calf kick will it be to the point where he's able to finish him like the like he did against Gvanstrom or is it just going to be enough to kind of take the 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 oomph off of the the takedown attempts from uh, Mike Hamill and then just take him to a decision so I'll go with uh, Nurmagomedov to win via decision, but it wouldn't uh, surprise me if we see a later finish from Nurmagomedov after the amount of damage that he uh, accrues against uh, Mike Hamill here. So I'll go Nurmagomedov to win this fight via decision. Tyrell Fortune versus Jack May. We got minus 750 on Tyrell Fortune and plus 525 on Jack May. And this is a rematch of a fight that took place seven months ago. Unfortunately, that fight ended in a no contest when there was an accidental groin shot on uh, Tyrell Fortune's half, and he uh, pretty much rendered Jake Jack May, you know, couldn't even fight. Like the guy, he was so messed up from that, pretty much had to be helped out of the cage by his coach, and apparently he was pissing blood for about a week afterwards. So yeah. It definitely did some damage to him. Uh, so very unfortunate end to there. Since then, we've had uh, Jack May go out there and lose a, a very close fight to uh, Mr. Noblet. Uh, that happened at the ex-MMA event. I believe that was in January. And then on Tyro Fortune's uh, half, he went out there as a minus 1,000 favorite and uh, went to a decision against uh, Saeed Soma. And the difference between those fights, obviously, the win for Fortune and the loss for Jack May, uh, was obviously the, uh, the the way that Jack May lost his fight. He was going up against a very uh, solid wrestler in that fight and succumbed to the wrestling. And unfortunately for him, he's going up against a much heavier wrestler here in Tyrell Fortune, who's a much higher level uh, than Noblet as well. So that's something that Jack May is going to have to worry about in this fight. Uh it's interesting with Jack May, right? The guy's been around for so long, yet he only has 18 fights, right? For some reason, it feels like he should have like 40 or 50 fights at this point in time. And the fact that he's 39 years old, you know, time really isn't on his side. Um, but, you know, he had a stint in the UFC, had a stint all over the place, but now finding his place in Bellator. And unfortunately for him, this Tyro Fortune fight is just a very tough one to go out there. You know, the one fight that he's going to have to channel into is the Timothy Johnson fight where Johnson came in as a plus 550 underdog and went out there and knocked out Tyrell Fortune in that first round. And that's probably the best way that Jack May is going to win this fight is if he goes out there and does the same thing. Uh, you know, he's a he's a kickboxer by trade, has competed in boxing as well. Uh, so that's definitely where his strong suit is. But I'm not sure how effective he will be in getting that off here against Tyrell Fortune, who, you know, is making solid improvements in an all-around fashion. You know, he's 30 years old. Uh, 10 fights into his pro MMA career really we've seen him transform and evolve in this Bellator game since the, uh, Bellator signed him uh, even before he made his first professional fight so a uh, very solid uh, prospect in fortune and then if it wasn't for that uh, the 
the Timothy Johnson fight, who knows how close he would be to actually getting a, a heavyweight title shot here in Bellator. I still think he has a high upset, and I'm not going to take too much out of that Timothy Johnson fight. But man, that knockout was bad. He was out cold. Very, very bad knockout for him. Very solid approach from Timothy Johnson to get that knockout. Beautiful way for him to set that up. Um, but again, when you look at the most recent fights from these guys, you kind of see how, why Tyrell Fortune is um, favored as much as he is, as he should be able to go out there and really get his wrestling game going. It's going to be tough for Jack May to really stuff those takedowns, and we did see a little bit of improvement in his takedown defense in his fight against Quintero, because uh, that was a fight where they fought pretty much back-to-back. Uh, Quintero subbed him at the ending of the second round, I believe, in their first fight, and they got an immediate rematch, and we saw a very improved um, takedown defense game from Jack May. A lot of it took place up against the cage, but he was able to stuff a lot of the takedowns, and then when they were at distance, he did a lot of good work from the outside, landing a lot of his big shots, opening up a big cut under the eye of Quintero, and then obviously taking home the decision victory that night. But again, that Noble fight just sticks out like a sore thumb, because stylistically, it's kind of the same matchup here, but you have a guy that in Tyro Fortune who's a much better grappler than Noblet, and that's what sticks out the most here. Jack May could absolutely go out there and knock him out. You know, I'm not going to say, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to sit here and say that Tyro Fortune is chinny or anything like that, but that Timothy Johnson fight does stick out to us, uh, especially with the, the way he was knocked out there. He did take some good shots from Soma, but so I believe that Jack May has more power than Soma, so that's something that we're going to have to worry about here. But with Tyrell Fortune's ability to get the fight to the ground, and I believe that he should be able to here, I think he's going to, I'm not going to say grind this one out. I think he actually goes out there and uh, and seeks a submission, maybe even a ground and pound finish. I believe... Um, He's tied, if I'm not mistaken, it could be off by now, but I believe he's tied for the most uh, heavyweight uh, finishes via KO, and he's tied with Vitaly Minikov, which is a uh, you know, high regard to hold, especially in Bellator being the second biggest promotion in the world for MMA. Uh, but Tyro Fortune does have a win by submission, so it definitely shows that he does seek it when it comes to him. And there are instances in most of his fights where you see him actually reaching for like an Americana or a Kimura, or even like taking the back and trying to go for a rear naked choke. So it's good to see him go for those jujitsu maneuvers as well, and not just try to control his opponent, lay in prey, or just you know go for the ground and pound. I believe the submission prop on Tyro Fortune to win by submission is plus 550, and I think that's something to take note of, as I think it has some value here. I think he'll get Jack May down with relative ease, and after that, he should be able to go out there and possibly find the submission. Obviously, the KO prop is probably around minus 170, minus 175, so that makes a little bit of sense. But why not take a little bit of a gamble on that sub prop, given that uh, you know it's a close to 6-1 to one underdog uh, spot there. So... Yeah, I'm taking Tyro Fortune to win this fight. I don't think he's going to have too much issues getting Jack May down. Might not be the first takedown attempt. Might not be the second takedown attempt. But I'll definitely get there. And I think he'll play it safe enough to stay away from the big power of Jack May. So I'm going with Tyro Fortune here. I'll take him to win by sub. I'm going to be ballsy here. I'll take him to win by round one sub. And I'm going to call it an arm triangle choke. Something that we've seen Jack May succumb to uh, in not to distant past. So uh, once again, I'll go with Tyrell Fortune here to win my first round submission. Naaman Gracie versus Jason Jackson. We got minus 105 for Gracie, minus 115 for Jackson. Pretty much a pick em line. Let's start off with the Naaman Gracie side of things, who's coming off a submission victory over John Fitch, where he was able to snatch the heel, <clears throat> excuse me, he was able to snatch the heel of John Fitch near the ending of that second round and eventually get the tap. Before that, he went up against Rory McDonald in the welterweight uh, uh, 
tournament that they had going on for Bellator came up on the losing end there as he just wasn't able to get his game going especially with that jiu-jitsu Rory McDonald showed great takedown defense and obviously a very good stand-up game which really nullified the game of uh, Naaman Gracie who needs to get get fights to the ground to truly be successful you know three fights per, uh, before that goes out there and taps Zach Busha taps uh, Javier Torres uh, and then tax, uh, taps uh, Ed Ruth I believe he tapped I'm not sure why I'm, I feel like I'm drawing a blank here as to why he didn't tap Ed Ruth. Yeah, he tapped him in the fourth round there. Yeah, fourth round uh, tap via via rear naked choke. So big win for him there. And then uh, the arm triangle choke against Javier Torres and neck crank against Zach Busha. He has so many different uh, wins via different uh, submissions. Obviously with a name like Gracie, you got to expect that. Uh so yeah, that's pretty much his game. Let's try to get you to the ground. He has an improving uh, wrestling game, which definitely will help him to get his victory, get his hands raised. Uh, and then obviously in the John Fitch fight, right? You got a guy that um, is a wrestler and willing to engage in those uh, types of exchanges. And unfortunately for him, he's just a step behind uh, Gracie at this point in time, which is why Gracie was able to get his hand raised that night. Jason Jackson, now training out of Sanford MMA, is a fighter that shows continuous improvement on a fight-to-fight basis. Even though he has a loss to Ed Ruth, who, you know, did end up losing the name in Gracie after that, we saw a lot of good things out of him in that fight, right? It was a split-decision loss. He did a good job of nullifying some takedowns, landing good damage, and, you know, going damage over control time. But, unfortunately, that night, uh, the judges saw the control time for Ed Ruth and uh, gave him the victory. But then he goes on a 3-5 winning streak against guys that are mainly grapplers outside of Jordan Mean, who's more of a, a jack-of-all-trades kind of guy. Kichu Kunimoto gets him into some compromising situations and he shows his great awareness with submission defense and his jiu-jitsu where he's able to roll out of bad positions, get the fight back to the feet, and really uh, get his striking game going, which is very, very impressive. Something that he does very well that I that I really enjoy is uh, his ability to set up his head kick. You know, he throws a, a nice combination and gets his opponent to kind of, uh, you know, shift off to one side. And then he throws a great head kick, which is one of his best moves, in my opinion. But the thing that shines to me the most is his improved takedown defense, which is obviously going to be very important for him here against uh, Naaman Gracie, who wants to get the fight to the ground to truly get the best, uh, the best um, you know, result for his fight. Jordan Mean fight goes out there and shows you know solid takedown defense solid striking and really leads the dance from minute one to minute 15 the Ben Henderson fight he does out you know outsize him in that fight he's a minus 170 favorite Ben Henderson on the tail end of his career but we really saw some good things out of him just like we did in the Kichi Kunimoto fight where you know Ben Henderson gets him into some compromising situations and he shows great awareness and gets out of those bad situations it's I feel like you can hear his corner kind of uh, screaming out, you know, don't play on the ground, don't get uh, wrapped up in his type of game. But he sh- wanted to kind of show off that, you know, he does have those uh, uh, those those advantages in his game where he's able to get out of bad situations and really let his uh, submission defense show off. That's not something I would recommend at all here against Neyman Gracie. What you did against Ben Henderson and what you get, did against Kiichi Kunimoto and even uh, to some effect against Ed Ruth, Stay off the ground. Keep your distance. Keep moving. Stay on the outside. Let let your punches throw. You know, let your three and a half reach and uh, inch reach advantage show as well. Stay on the outside. Don't really play on the inside against uh, Naaman Gracie. Push him up against the cage if you want to try to drain him out with his cardio that way. 
But do not mix up with him. Do not try to get into a wrestling match or a grappling match with this guy because you will definitely uh, you know, succumb to that. And I think that uh, that's definitely not the way to go for Jason Jackson. I do lean with Jason Jackson given all the improvements that we've been seeing from him as of late. Training out of Sanford MMA and training almost side by side with Rory McDonald who has uh, 25 minutes of experience being in there with Naaman Gracie. That definitely has to help. I'm sure he's uh, kind of been told a couple of things from Rory in terms of you know what to expect and obviously running all the tape there are certain things that Jason Jackson must have picked up on in terms of being able to keep this fight on the feet and I think that's something that will seem very successful and I think you'll be the stronger fighter here and obviously the one with the better striking too and I think that's going to come into uh, play here as he should go out there and outstrike naming Gracie. This should be a close fight, hence why the odds are as close as they are. And I've seen out there that there is a line for Neyman Gracie to win this fight via decision around plus 500 or plus 600. I think that's a solid spot. However, I do think that Jason Jackson wins this fight. I think he has the potential to either uh, get get a, get a TKO on the feet, but I think ultimately I'll go with him to win via decision as I think that's the way that that's best for him. You know, don't put too much on your strikes. Don't put too much sauce on the end of your punches as that, as that could possibly overextend you and get you taken down and that's not where you want to be against a guy like Naaman Gracie, Hensel Gracie trained Naaman Gracie. So uh, Jason Jackson, you know, showing ever improvements with his grappling game under the tutelage of Gilbert Burns. And I think that's going to come into play here with his ability to, you know, shuck off takedowns. And if he, even if he does find himself into in compromising situations, given what we've seen from him as of late, should give us some confidence, especially at this line, which is pretty much a pick uh, that, that, you know, Jackson should be okay in terms of getting out of these situations. Again, naming Gracie is probably the highest level of jiu-jitsu that he's ever gone up against. But I still think that he should show some good uh, good things in this fight where, you know, cage awareness, ability to keep the fight on the feet and just keep uh, Name Gracie on the end of his punches so that he he can he has enough time and space to react to any type of, uh, you know, wrestling or, or uh, takedown that Name and Gracie attempts here. So I think that we might see this similarly play out to the Roy McDonald fight uh, that Naaman Gracie had, you know, where Jason Jackson is able to keep the fight on the feet and just keep him at distance and just pummel him and uh, kind of make him pay on the outside for, for bad shots or bad takedown attempts. So I'm going Jason Jackson here. I'm going to take him to win by decision. And this could be his coming out party too. This could be that fight that gets him to that next level to, you know, take on the Roy McDonald's or take on the other guys that are at the top of this division. Given the fact that Naaman Gracie was one of the few guys that was in that welterweight tournament that uh, Bellator put together, I believe last year or the year before that. So this should be Jason Jackson's coming out party at welterweight. And I truly believe it takes this fight by decision. Time for the main event of Bellator 255. We got the main event here between Patricio Pitbull Ferreira versus Manuel Sanchez. This is actually a rematch of a fight that took place several fights ago. Actually, four fights ago for both guys now. Um, and this is actually the semifinal of the Featherweight Grand Prix for Bellator. The winner of this fight will meet AJ McKee in the finals. And that's one that I'm very much looking forward to, no matter who comes out on the, on the winning end of this fight. You know, AJ McKee is pretty much a homegrown town for Bellator. And it's pretty much gone undefeated the entire... Uh, time he's there and he's 
not really been challenged the the greatest amount so i'm sure the winner of this fight will definitely bring out the best aj McQui aj mckee that we've seen to this point very much excited for the for the finals but we got a very exciting fight between these two guys who last time they fought went to a decision and very very close as well as i thought it was tied up 2-2 going into that fifth round and luckily for patricio pitbull or patricio pitbull he was able to rock and hurt uh emmanuel sanchez early in that fifth round and pretty much uh dictated the pace for the rest of that round and was able to get uh, uh get his hand raised that night now he's minus 245 this time around earlier in the week he was closer to that minus 300 range but as people start to run the tape on both of these guys they start to understand why uh you know there was value on emmanuel sanchez and why the money is starting to come in on sanchez and why the line is starting to close as much as it is the the weird thing about pitbull is as as crazy as his 31 and 4 record is the guy still fights relatively close fights other than when he's knocking his opponents out there are situations like the Juan Archuleta fight where he 50-45s him the entire uh, fight but you know it's not by the widest margin like he's just eking out some of these rounds like they're most of his wins if they're not coming by knockout he's able to kind of just push his opponent up against the cage and kind of control them from that aspect and just a cruel bunch of control time uh, enough to the point to at least win the round unless of course he hurts rocks and drops drops them without finishing them and then obviously just controls them up against the cage like the the michael chandler fight he gets them out of there relatively quickly the emmanuel sanchez fight you know again 2-2 going into that fifth round then hurts him in that fifth round and then takes that round uh, on the judges scorecards uh the juan archuleta fight you know there's uh, so many instances where archuleta is just so far on the outside i'm not entirely sure what his game plan was but every time he closed the distance uh either pitbull tied him up pushed him up against the cage or landed a up a, a couple good shots and a couple good combinations and then got out of the way he's not this crazy output or volume machine you know he has a lot of power in his hands which is why most of his opponents are kind of scared to like close the distance on him but if they're able to put volume on him uh they could get away with uh you know kind of outpointing and winning that way it's definitely a possibility that's something that his last opponent pedro carvalho tried to do and try to utilize the entire uh distance or the the the, the reach advantage that uh, carvalho had in that fight landed a couple good jabs landed a couple good shots from the outside but whenever the distance was closed uh patrico pitbull was just going out there and landing the big bombs and landing some big strikes it almost looked like carvalho after he felt the first shot was kind of just out of the fight just wasn't uh you know felt like he was succumbing to the fact that he was a plus 500 underdog going into that fight so good one for patricio there the last time he did lose a fight was that weird leg injury he had uh and uh i believe it was against benson henderson and uh you know he was winning that fight up until that point and then injures his leg and, and loses that way so very unfortunate way to take his fourth l but the guy's a solid fighter right again not winning the fight by the winning his fights by large margins even the daniel white fight went to a went to a split decision um but he's getting that getting his hand raised you know he's he's coached by a solid team eric albacine obviously in his corner helping him out with his wrestling and it definitely shows inside the cage his takedown defense looks great his ability to control opponents in the clinch looks great and that's kind of what's allowing him to get his victories in most of his fights obviously his power is something great too right he's able to knock out michael chandler the way that he did beautiful uh hook right over um as a counter right on the temple rocks and hurts michael chandler and then follows up with a bunch of ground and pound and then the pedro carvalho finish obviously a very uh solid one too where you just continuously hurt carvalho and then eventually put him away 
Manuel Sanchez, on the other hand, coming out of Rufus Sport, you know, shows a lot of good improvements in all of his fights. 20 and 4, his own record, uh, you know, 11 fights less than Pitbull on his record, but shows a, a growth on a fight to fight basis. Obviously, like I said, went to a very close decision against Pitbull where it came down to the fifth round. But after that, Georgie Karakhanian. Karakhanian tried to pretty much wrestle fuck him the entire time. But Sanchez has such great jujitsu that he was able to reverse a lot of the positions and then really control him, mostly from, from the back mount. Wasn't able to get the finish in that fight, but did show a lot of good jujitsu and grappling acumen, which allowed him to control the majority of that fight and then win that fight via decision. I found it very weird that Karakhanian kept going to the grappling especially when he kept losing it especially going into that third round like you know you're down let's go out there and try to land a Hail Mary shot rather than engage in the grappling unfortunately for him uh he he comes out uh on the losing end the Tywin Claxton fight right Claxton came in with a ton of uh hype had a flying knee knockout and he was the talker of the town at the time hence why uh you know the line was pretty much out of pick him at that point but uh, Emmanuel Sanchez goes out there, you know, gets wrestle fucked a little bit, but we did see the very offensive guard of Emmanuel Sanchez, which allowed him to eventually lock up that triangle choke and gets a gets a tap there, uh, beautiful finish from him there. Then the Daniel Vitral fight again, another one where he kind of outpoints Vitral on the feet, has a lot of success in the grappling realm, and then comes away with a decision victory there. Vitral just didn't really have much of an answer for him in that fight. I love the style of Manuel Sanchez. The guy is just output volume and just forward pressure at all times. He's the one more than more often than not kind of pushing the pace, just like he was in the the first Pitbull fight. Now, the bet that I took in this fight, uh, I guess I'll spill, spill the beans to you guys, is actually the under a four and a half. I feel this, this fight is going to be very action-packed, just like the first one was. And both guys had a lot of success in terms of hurting, rocking, and dropping one another, which is what, uh, what should translate into this fight. Uh, I'm expecting both guys to come with a bit of a revised game plan, but that should help them go out there and find a, uh, a path to a finish for either side, whether it's Emmanuel Sanchez overwhelming him with strikes, club and subbing him or whatever it was. And neither of these guys have uh, truly been finished in their careers, but given the way that they match up stylistically with each other, I feel like we could see a finish in this fight. Uh, again, Emmanuel Sanchez, very high octane, uh, very high volume and puts Pitbull into some questionable situations. And that's where I expect a, uh, you know either Emmanuel Sanchez to kind of overextend on a couple of these combinations and maybe get clipped just like he did in the fifth round uh, of their first fight or he just overwhelms uh, Pitbull and then eventually finishes him as well too unfortunately I think it's actually going to be on the Pitbull side I think Pitbull lands a clean shot rocks and hurts uh, Sanchez and then eventually finishes him but I it's hard for me to pick a side here I think that Pitbull is too big of a favorite I think that uh, you know Sanchez is a much bigger dog than people are expecting him to be and I think that this is going to be a very competitive fight I think that we'll see uh, you know Sanchez kind of try to get comfortable in there but whenever he does get tied up with Pitbull he does a good job of you know digging his own underhooks and then getting out of those bad positions where he's not getting controlled too much which should lead to more exchanges which should lead to the more possibility of this fight going to a finish so I personally made the bet at plus 138 I think there's a solid amount of value there given their stylistic uh, approach here and uh, I, I do however lean on the the Pitbull side here with, uh, with the power that he has in his hands and his ability to put guys away. So, um, again, my heart is kind of cheering for Sanchez here as I'm a big fan of him. He's cashed for me again uh, in the past against Tywin Claxton. Uh, I was thinking about making a bet on him here, but it's just so hard to bet against a guy like Pitbull. And I think this is going to be a close fight. Um, 
if it does end up going to a scorecard, I, I think plus 370 on Sanchez to win via decision is not too bad of a hedge if you're looking at taking the under four and a half here. But I think that this is a great fight for both guys. I think the finish is live on both sides. But I, ultimately, I'll end up going with uh, Pitbull uh, to go out there and land that big shot to put Emmanuel Sanchez out and go to the finals to take on AJ McKee, which is a very, very tough fight. Very much looking forward to that. But final prediction here is going to be Patricio Pitbull to win this fight via second or third round KO. And those are the breakdowns. Hope you guys enjoy them. Again, it's just the main card. But next week for Bellator 256, I'll have the entire card breakdown for you guys. Not to mention the UFC is back in uh, back in town. And I believe they're going to have seven or eight straight weekend of events. You know I'm going to have you guys covered. So if you guys want early access to the breakdowns, check out the Patreon. Five bucks a month. Link is in the description below. Another shout out to CoolBet.com. Promo code MMALOTN2. They'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks. 100%. So make sure you guys check that out. And then obviously, shout out to Fanatics Fantasy MMA for supporting the show. Uh, great fantasy app. Make sure you guys check it out. Link is in the description below. Good luck to you guys on the fights this weekend. I'll see you guys next week for, uh, you know, both Bellator and UFC events. Good luck on your bets. See you guys then.